All right, what's up everybody? Hey, glad you guys made it out to the first encounter of SMC. My name is Joe. Hi, Maddie. And uh, we're both on staff at KU. Here's our staff team. Uh, I just realized this. Neither of us went to KU. I went to Mizzou. I went to K-State. We're on staff at KU. We love it. Here's our staff team. They're awesome. Uh, but hey, we're pumped you guys made it out to the first encounter um, of SMC. You guys gave up some sleep, which I'm impressed about. Uh, but we're pumped because we're going to talk about one of our favorite issues, and it's really why can you trust the Bible? And um, this idea of trust, I think, is huge in our society. I think there's probably no bigger area of this distrust um, this, with this idea, and you guys probably guessed it, um, conspiracy theories. Anybody conspiracy theories? Like, this is your bag. Like, conversations about conspiracy theories. This is, like, your thing. You talk about it all day. There we go. A couple. A couple. Okay, so we'll run through a couple of them right now. Um, but first one, Denver Airport. Anybody heard the Denver Airport conspiracy theory? Okay, a couple. I lived out there a couple years ago. Kind of got into this one. Um, Denver Airport. Essentially, they think it's some New World base. The Illuminati has a base there. It took way longer than it should have to build. It costs way more money. They think there's underground like tunnels running 100 miles south. Um, there's actually also... A, uh, a 32-foot fiberglass horse out in front of the airport with red eyes, which pretty sketchy. I'm not gonna lie. I'm with some people. They uh, they don't believe in that. Um, but this airport, it's crazy. People don't even trust our airports nowadays. Yeah, so crazy. Um, this one might hit a little bit closer to home. I feel like most of us probably have Apple products, right? So it might be an iPhone, iPad, MacBook, something like that. Um, and so here's the theory. So Apple um, has been accused multiple times of designing their products to stop working as soon as the new model, a new model comes out. You guys feel that? Like I had an iPhone 7 a couple years ago and um, the 11 came out or whenever the 11 came out, maybe a couple months later, and my 7 just stops working. Kind of crazy. Um, and so to the next slide, it has a quote actually from Apple, so they're denying this theory. So they say that they have never and would never do anything to intentionally shorten the life of any Apple product. I don't know, you guys, I have had personal experience with this, so take it um, the way that you want to, but seems a little overly convenient to me. Um, and so if that's not enough, how about the theory that our phones are listening to all of our conversations? You guys feel that too? Yes. Okay, so, yeah, I know. So I don't even know if this is a theory. It's like, hey, this might actually just be a fact. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have gotten on, like, social media and you see, like, the targeted ads for things. Um, I've actually had something like this happen to me very recently, and it was, like, super obvious. Um, but my brother and I were kind of talking and planning on making breakfast for our family on Christmas morning. And so we were just talking about different options of things that we could make. And I get on Instagram like an hour later, and these are the screenshots um, of the ads that kept coming up on my feed. And so I'm not really talking about breakfast food on the reg, but um, the first one is, I think those that's like apple French toast or something, and then pancakes, maple syrup, and donuts. I was like, okay, wow. Um, I really feel like my phone is listening to me and kind of creeps me out, but um, I feel like some people might go as far to say that the government is listening to us, um, but I don't know about that. You guys can um, have your own stance, but I do feel like our phones are listening to us to some degree. Yeah, that's a fact. That's not even a conspiracy theory. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, but basically the reality is we live in a, a postmodern culture, which is kind of the idea of we, we like detaching from the ways of the past, and really that's bled into faith and religion as well. So as we're also, we're postmodern, but we're also described as a secular culture, which means like, hey, in society, let's kind of move on without God, um, which is crazy because a lot of even secular thinkers believe that the Bible, it's one of the foundational documents that really made Western civilization. And so a lot of these thinkers believe that the Bible has a huge impact, but they don't actually believe um, that it's God's word. And a lot of people will talk about the Bible saying, you know, we find joy reading it, love coming to know God through it. Uh, but some people are like, you know, whoa, 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 like, I don't know if I can trust this ancient document um, from years ago. For a lot of people, it's more of a barrier than anything. You know, big game of telephone, outdated. You know, what's the difference between this book and any other um, ancient book, uh, holy book? And uh, honestly, for me, I was probably a natural skeptic when I first started reading the Bible. Um, had always heard people say, you know, came to know God through it, really changed because of it. And uh, there's a quote that really helped me. And uh, it's by C.S. Lewis, and it's, The heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects is false. So I can't rejoice, my heart can't rejoice in something that my mind is in the way of. And so it's kind of going to be the format we're going to use for this talk. Um, but the Bible, we're really going to try to clear up some of the fog. So we're going to look at the mind first, and we're going to look at the heart. And the mind part, we're going to try to clear up some of the fog that could keep people from seeing the Bible uh, for what it really is and really experiencing it. So the first question here is, can I trust that the Bible is God's word? And we're going to absolutely fly. Uh, so people could spend a whole day talking about each of these specific issues, uh, but we're going to fly through it um, of a couple approaches of why Christians believe that the Bible is God's word. And so the first one here um, is the self-authenticating argument, which this one's pretty simple, but it says, hey, God is true and God breathed out scripture, therefore scripture is true. Authenticating. And so the verse for that is 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in, right, in righteousness. And so basically what this means is because the Bible holds authority in itself, um, you can say that the Bible is true because it says it's true. And you can see how it can get tricky. It kind of becomes a circular argument. And some people, that doesn't check out. And so that's real, really what we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at in this mind section is this idea of validity. And the validity, the question of that is the quality of being logically or factually sound. And so really we want to know if the Bible is valid. And we're going to look at it through two different ways. We're going to look at the evidence. Um, we're going to look at both internal and external evidences. So first, internal evidence is unity. Unity. So the Bible is not just one book. It's more like a library of books. It's about 66 books, um, three different continents. It was written, on, written in three different languages by more than 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years. And the crazy thing is that it doesn't contradict itself once. It's one cohesive story, you know, written by normal people, but also spoken as God's word. And uh, the content, it's crazy. There's perfect unity in the entire narrative. That would be like me getting 40 of you guys who speak three different languages from three different continents, sent you out for 1,500 years. I'm like, hey, write a story, write a 66-book story of a mystical world. Come back 15, 1,500 years later, and you guys all come back, and there's this perfect story of Lord of the Rings. Like, no contradiction. You guys don't, most of you don't know each other, different languages, but no contradiction in this perfect Lord of the Rings narrative. The odds of all of these things being unified in this story points to the Bible being more than just a book. Second one is prophecy. 
And it's basically a prediction that something will happen in the future. And the Bible is full of these. Um, one of the prophecies um, is Psalm 22, 16, and says, 16 through 18. It says, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And it goes on. But basically, this is identical to Matthew 27, 35. But it was written a thousand years before. And the crazy part about this is it was actually written 300 years before crucifixion was even a thing. So the way that Jesus died, crucifixion, hands and feet being pierced, it wasn't even a thing at this time. So here's prophecy looking forward to something, telling that something will happen in the future. And uh, the head of mathematics at Pasadena College actually did a um, research project and uh, calculated the odds of, so there's over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus in the Bible. He did a calculation to figure out what the odds of just filling eight of these would be. And it was crazy. Essentially, the odds are one in 10 to the 17th power. So that's 14 zeros, which is so many zeros. Um, but that the odds of that are crazy. And uh, he basically said it would be like filling the whole state of Texas a foot and a half with quarters. And then I mark one, place it somewhere in Texas, and it'd be the odds of you going and finding that one quarter, that one in 100 trillion quarters. And that's only eight of the 300 prophecies. So prophecies are a huge reason why the Bible is valid. And so those are two of the internal evidences. And so now we're going to look at the external evidences. And the first one we look at here is history. History. The Bible is like the best um, ancient document, the best documented book um, there has ever been. Even today, archaeologists are finding more and more things that are confirming people, places, and events that took place and are talked about in the Bible. So along with that, there's actually the number of New Testament copies so far exceeds any of other books. You know, we see, you guys know Caesar, Plato, Tacitus, Homer's Iliad has over 600, but the New Testament has over 24,000 copies that we use to build the word. So the historical accuracy and the preservation of the word are huge reasons um, to believe that the Bible is valid. Next one are the disciples dying for Christ. This is probably my favorite, probably my most compelling, but here's this random group of guys that decided to follow Jesus. Not normal dudes, not looking to do anything super religious with their lives, uh, but they had an encounter with Jesus, and they ended up following him. And almost all of these guys ended up dying because they wouldn't deny their faith in Jesus. And just to name a couple of their deaths, Peter, one of Jesus' good friends, crucified upside down. He's like, hey, Jesus was crucified right side up. Crucify me upside down. He's like, I don't even feel worthy to die in the same way. Um, James, his brother, was stoned and clubbed to death. Um, Matthew stabbed to death. And my question is like, why would they do this? Why would these random guys die for this man that they had met just a few years before? And Peter even says it in Acts 4.20. He says, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. He's like, hey, you guys are going to have to kill us because I cannot say what I saw. I cannot say what I really heard. And so the disciples dying is a huge external evidence for validity. Indestructibility. Society's been trying to get rid of this book for ages, but they can't. They can't get rid of this story surrounding this innocent Jewish man that died in first century Israel. You know, the calendar is dated after him. After him. There has to be something to this man. Um, there's a French philosopher named Voltaire who spent his life basically trying to deconstruct this and dismantle the Christian faith. And um, he had a quote, and he said that essentially 100 years from my death, the Bible will be a museum piece. And uh, the irony of that is actually after he died, the French Bible Society 
basically put up shop in his old house and stored Bibles um, in his house. So these people who've been trying to get rid of the Bible, they can't, no ruler, no authority, um, no government has ever been able to get rid of this book. So it's indestructibility really points to its validity. Um, next one is the resurrection. Um, Jesus quoted the Old Testament nearly 80 times just in the Bible, obviously more than that throughout his life. Um, but one of these, well, Paul actually talks about the significance of the resurrection in one of his letters um, in 1 Corinthians. He says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, uh, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 other brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And so this creed, it's, it's obviously in the Bible, but it was a creed of the early church written between 20 and 50 years um, after Jesus' death. And what's crazy is Paul's like, hey, go and talk to these people. You know, go and talk to these people who a lot of them are still alive, who a lot of them saw it with their own eyes. Go talk um, to them personally. And uh, in terms of historical dating, this is so fast. Alexander the Great, there were two biographies written about him and by Arian and Plutarch over 400 years after his death. And those are considered historically valid. So the historical dating, in terms of that, this is extremely quick. Um, last one here, personal testimony. The Bible has changed millions and millions and millions of lives um, throughout the years. And it's really people who didn't know everything, but they knew enough to say, hey, I'm going to trust God's word. I'm going to start to put a little bit of my trust in it. And that's so different than society nowadays, right? Nowadays, it's like, hey, God, show me something, and then I'll trust you, right? But what God says, he's like, hey, trust me first, and then I will show you. So really, the world is full of just people who have been changed um, by the Bible themselves. So those, those are a couple. That was a drive-by. But those are just a couple of things, a couple of reasons um, why um, you can really trust that the Bible is God's word with your mind. And so Maddie's going to talk a little bit more about how to approach it with your heart. So, yeah, so if the Bible really is God's word, um, and we believe it with our head, we can't actually read it as God intended for us to read it um, if we're not having an equal engagement of our hearts. And so, um, yeah, so if the Bible is God's word, how can I approach it in a trusting way? So that's kind of what we're going to talk about um, for the next few minutes. And so the reason why God wants our hearts is, it, is it's because it determines what we value um, so I love this verse in Matthew 6. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, and so God wants to be our treasure. He wants to be um, someone to know personally and loved and valued above all other things in our lives. Um, and so what does this look like? What does it look like for us to treasure God, to know him with our hearts? Um, so an example that I wanted to pull out, this is directly from the Bible, but is King David. And so... Um, David was a leader that God appointed um, as king of Israel, and he's one of the most successful and well-known leaders um, throughout history. And it's cool because David was coined um, a man after God's own heart, and so the Bible talks um, about that, repeats it multiple times. But David was a guy just like us. He wasn't perfect. Um, the Bible's also really clear about mistakes that he made throughout his life. But because of the desire that he had to know God, um, he was a man after God's own heart. And so 
Um, it's cool actually looking at some of the Psalms. So David wrote a good chunk of the book of Psalms. And so we're going to look at a few verses where we can kind of see why David might be a, God, a man after God's own heart. And so um, in Psalm 48, we can see that he desires to know God's will. Um, and therefore, God's law is within his heart. Um, Psalm 42, he thirsts for God. Um, he is looking forward to the next time that he can meet with him. Um, and even Psalm 63, um, he desires God more than a drink of water in the desert. Um, so you can see his desperation, how much he really wants to know God. Um, and then also, yeah, just how he makes an effort to earnestly seek him. Um, I feel like that's cool how David is just showing that he wants to take initiative and in getting to know the God that wants to know him. Um, and so even just looking at these verses, I feel like it's really clear. It's like David's um, top priority, the most valuable thing in his life is getting to know God. Um, and so he prioritized God's word above everything else because he wanted to care about what God cares about. Um, and so he knew that his heart would line up with God's the more that he spent time with him. And I think that's really similar even, I mean, I feel like we can complicate it, but um, it's really similar for us just getting to know a friend or getting to know someone that we really care about. It's like the more that you spend time with someone, the more that you pick up on their mannerisms, the more that you start to laugh like them or talk like them, um, or even like your hobbies rub off on each other. So just thinking about that, it's like God wants us to treasure him and to get to know him more and to become more like Christ through spending time with him. Um, and so we're kind of going to answer this question through a few practical tips. So how do we approach the Bible the way that David does? Or how do we become a man or a woman after God's own heart? And so we love acrostics. And so you can see at the bottom of your sheet, we're going to spell out the word heart. Um, and so these five tips, the first one is have prayer come first. Have prayer come first. And so um, naturally for us, I wouldn't say that we always have the desire, at least I don't, um, the de desire or the willpower to engage our hearts with God um, in his word. But the cool thing is that God has a supernatural power that can. Um, and so one thing that I love to do to kind of engage my own heart through prayer is praying specific verses. Uh, so we just talked about David and um, the Psalms. I feel like Psalm 119 is one that I like to um, go back to a lot and pray for myself. Um, and so open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's Psalm 119, 18. And then turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. So even just praying some of those things so that um, we can just ask God to align our hearts with his. So the second one is engaging like you're meeting with God. Engage like you're meeting with God. Um, and I like this passage in John 5. So Jesus is basically talking to a group of religious leaders who um, they know a lot about the Bible. They have a lot of head knowledge, but they don't necessarily have a personal um, relationship with God. And so it says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so, um, yeah, I feel like in these verses, it kind of shows like we can have good intentions of spending time in God's word and reading the Bible, but what God really wants of us is to come to him and to get to know him um, personally. And so, um, really, I think what it means to engage your heart with God is to change your perspective on spending time with him. And so um, just thinking through what's your main goal? Is it to check off um, a box and just 
um, know that you did it or tell someone that you did it and gain head knowledge? Or is it to really get to know God and get to know what his character is like and what he wants um, for your life? So even just changing that perspective um, and having the mindset of meeting with him, um, finding time every day to be together with him and his word. So the third one is agree to have an open hand. Agree to have an open hand. Um, and so not everything that we read is going to be something that we're excited about or that we really want to read um, or hear or apply. Um, but the cool thing about um, God's word is that his laws and promises are good because he's good. And so one thing that I like to remind myself, too, is I'm reading things that maybe um, are hard to hear or something that's maybe contradictory to some, a way that I'm living or what I'm doing even just knowing that God um, loved me so much that he decided to send the most valuable thing to be sacrificed for my good. And so knowing that the gospel is true, that Jesus um, was sent to die for my own sin so that I can have a relationship with God, I'm like, wow, there's nothing um, that shows God's proof more that he wants um, to give us good things. And so I feel like when I read that and when I think about that, I'm like, wow, I really can trust that um, what God says in the Bible is for my own good. Um, and so even thinking about the purpose of God's word, kind of going off of that, um, a couple of verses, Hebrews 4.12, um, it talks about how God's word is living and active, um, how it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Um, and then 2 Timothy 3.16, um, how it teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us in righteousness. So that really is like the purpose of God's word, how it um, helps to shape us to become more like Christ. Um, so even with this, I feel like just taking small steps to obey um, and asking God to help align our desires um, and our heart with his when we don't initially agree or understand um, is really helpful. So this next one, remove confusion by asking questions. Um, so know that it's okay to have questions as you read God's word. Um, we don't have to have it all figured out. We can um, do that in a trusting way also. But part of trusting is proactively looking for answers and expecting that God's going to provide them. Um, so God is not a God of confusion. Um, he promises to give us answers that we need. And so, um, yeah, I feel like a couple of verses that even reiterate this. So Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Um, in Jeremiah 29, 13, I love this promise that um, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so God really does promise that if we seek him, if we come to him and we ask um, those questions, that he will provide a way um, for answers. And it's like, we're not going to know every single, um, we're not going to know every single answer, maybe to the extent, but we will know as much as God wants us to know. Um, and so even with this, I would say um, some things that have been helpful are studying like specific words or maybe things that you don't understand. Um, there's an app called Blue Letter Bible. Um, if you haven't heard about it, um, it's really awesome. You can actually look up a lot of things. I feel like a theologian sometimes when I, when I get on Blue Letter Bible. Um, but it has like the Greek context for the, the original manuscript of the Bible that you can look up words. Um, and has commentary from credited Bible teachers that you can kind of look and see a little bit more about the passage that you're reading about. Um, and two, you could just ask a spiritual leader. Ask someone who is a little bit further along in their faith. Um, and chances are they probably had really similar questions to the ones that you had, and they can point you to some of the right resources and give good direction. 
Um, awesome, so this last one is take away an application. So make application the goal. Um, pretty black and white, James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And so um, just ask yourself at the end of your time with God, um, what is something that I want to remember or do from what I learned today? Um, and share your application with someone. I feel like this is always so helpful for me. I can forget what I read so easily, but if I share with one of my friends or ask them to hold me accountable, um, it makes it a lot easier to actually do what the Bible says. So um, with that, so those are our, that's our heart um, acrostic. And so, yeah, I think the reality is that it does, it takes a lot more time. It takes a lot more prayer and humility and effort to read the Bible with our hearts. Um, but I think that's, it's cool because that's exactly the way that God wants to work in us. Um, he wants to change our hearts and he wants to make us more like Christ. Yeah, totally. Thanks, Maddie. Um, yeah, so that kind of shows you guys how to approach God's word heart level. Uh, we know that was quick. Encounters, 20 minutes, kind of fly through. Um, but at a minimum, we really hope that one, maybe that kind of satisfies some of your guys' intellectual maybe barriers of really seeing the Bible for what it is. Um, also probably gives you a desire to maybe go and seek out more answers, to go and get answers to those questions you may have. Uh, but also, like Maddie said, really stir a desire for you to actually come to God's word, uh, wanting to be transformed, wanting to have an open hand, wanting God um, to really speak into your lives. And so uh, that being said, so we have a couple resources for you guys. Um, on the back of your handout, there's a resource sheet. That's kind of for the mind. If you want to go a little deeper, um, look at there's talks, there's books, there's some articles on there that are really good if you still want to dive deeper into a lot of these um, topics that we just basically uh, glanced over. We just got a little bit of information on. If you want to go deeper, there's that. And also there's going to be bookmarks on these little tables at the back door. Um, so that's kind of for the heart. Those are 20 um, ways to go deeper with God. Maddie made those. They're awesome. Um, so everybody pick up one of those on your way out. Um, but the cool thing is with these encounters right now is we actually have about um, 15 minutes where you guys are going to get to go uh, with people you came with and actually do the day one Devo in your booklets. Um, it's who is God. And you guys can actually do that together. And then after that, you guys will meet back up, I believe, for the main session. And then, um, yeah, so you guys can go. We're going to pray real quick and then launch you guys out um, to do those Devos together. So now going to pray for us. Um, God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word and God, just the truth that you give us um, through it. God, thanks for the way that you reveal um, yourself through the Bible. And God, I pray that um, even in our own hearts, God, that you would um, begin to work in them. God, if there are things that um, we don't understand, God, that you would help uh, bring clarity to. God, we're grateful for just the ways that um, you've given us resources, God, and given us people to help direct us, God, just to um, understand it more. And God, I pray that we would just um, move forward, God, and take small steps to trust um, what you say, God, and trust you, and just know that you're good, God, that you want to um, work in our hearts, God, and um, help us to know you on a deeper level. So, God, we're grateful, and we pray that um, for the rest of this day, God, that you would be on our mind, God, that you would be on our heart, and um, yeah, God, that we'd be able to get to know you more through your word. Amen. All right, so you guys go ahead, take those 15 minutes, uh, go try to link up with some people you came with, and uh, do day one Devo. Thanks for coming.